0: Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. I remember as a kid pretending to be someone else, usually a superhero or a cowboy. When you're a kid, pretending can be a great thing for developing your imagination and a lot of fun. But when you become an adult, pretending to be someone you're not is usually not a good thing. That's why we're doing a series based on First John called The Pretenders, where we're exploring what it means to be an authentic Christ follower. Today's message is called, Who and How Are You Loving? We believe that God is waiting to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now.
1: There are a lot of things in the world that are... Authentic and real, and the things that are that are fake. Uh, last week, when we started this series, we talked about fake money uh, and how people will study to be able to distinguish, um, you know, what's fake and what's real. Uh, today, before we kind of jump into the passage of scripture, I, I want to think about fake art just for a little bit because there's a lot of fake art in the world too. Uh, what happens is that there are people that are gifted enough to. Uh, paint something to look just like maybe one of the old masters, and then they will paint this as a painting and then sign it as a forgery and uh, uh, try and get some kind of fake paper trail to where all of a sudden this new piece of artwork has been found, been lost for all these years, and they'll bring it forward, and they'll sell it for maybe millions of dollars. And then sometimes people will find out it's fake. Sometimes they don't find out it's fake. There are estimates that about 20% of all the artwork on display in museums across the world is actually fake, 20% of it. There's even a museum in Austria that's called the Museum of Fake Art, and that's all they have there is forged fake art on display. Looks good, looks real. The problem is it's not authentic, it's not real. See, I think that's a problem also when it comes to Christianity. I think there are people who pretend to be real, who want to look real, who want to act like they've been touched by the master's hand, but they've not really been touched by him. Regrettably, that 20% statistic I said a moment ago about artwork, about 20% of the artwork in all the museums in the world uh, may be fake. Years and years ago, I heard Billy Graham say this, that he thought maybe about 80% of the church, I was not talking about just a Baptist church or some denomination, but across all world, he thought about 80% had never really been converted to Christ. Wouldn't that be a tragedy if 80% of the people in all the churches and our churches are like museums to fake Christians and, and they don't really know Christ as their Savior? First John speaks a lot about that, I think. That's one reason we're going uh, through 1 John or at least picking three major themes in 1 John because it talks about authentic Christians and it talks about people that are pretenders. Last week, we started out talking about what are you practicing? We asked that question. Are, are you practicing? Are you living in a way that looks like God's your father? Are you living in a way that... Uh, that represents what Jesus came to do. He came to take away sin and destroy the works of the devil. Are, are you living like that? Or are you living just like you did before you said you knew Christ as your Savior? Our sin on verse last week was in 1 John 3.10. I want to read it again because here's our question today. It's like a second major theme in 1 John. And here's our question. Who and how are you loving. And the reason I'm asking that question is this. Look at 1 John 3.10 again. By this, it is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's what we're talking about last week. If you're a Christian, the, the bulk of your life ought to be Concern about the way God wants you to live your life. You shouldn't be habitually sinning. the bulk of your life shouldn't be practicing sin over and over and over again with no guilt. But even though as Christians we'll still have failures and sidesteps and everything like that, we still, the bulk of our lives is being concerned about what God wants, his will for our lives. So he, he says there, "'Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God.'" But catch the second part of it, and here's where our question comes from today. Nor is a one who does not love his brother. Now, when he says brother here, he's not talking about your immediate family. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about Christians loving Christians and how we ought to demonstrate we're authentic believers by loving other Christians. That's who 1 John was written to. It was written to other believers, to other Christians. But we might can expand that and say, not just love other Christians. We ought to love other people in general. And here's why I say that. Look what Jesus said in Mark 12. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus is answering a question. What's the most important commandment? So he says that, and then Jesus says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these, talking about those two. Now, the word neighbor there does not mean the person that lives right beside of you on either side or across the street from you. The word neighbor literally means nearby or in proximity to. So when you're at work tomorrow, the person that's close to you, that's your neighbor. When you're out in the marketplace, that's your neighbor. Whoever you're rubbing shoulders with when you're in a close proximity to them, that's your neighbor. And we're supposed to be demonstrating love toward them. But especially, we ought to be loving other Christians because that's one of the major themes in 1 John. In fact, if you could paraphrase a little bit what's said in 1 John 3, you could even say this. If you don't love your brother, it's evidence that you're a child of the devil. That's more or less what he said. In the verse that we read just a moment ago, guys, that, that's not like serious stuff to me that we ought to wake up and pay attention to. So as we ask this question this morning, who and how are we loving, we need to really ask the Holy Spirit to kind of walk through our hearts and minds and ask, answer it honestly, because it, it's a good indication of whether we're authentic believers or not, if we're not loving like we should. I want you to see four main things today. Here's the first one. who and how we are loving should be motivated by God's love. In other words, the way we love ought to be motivated by God's love in the way that he has loved us. Look at 1 John 4, verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this is the love of God, but was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice or the payment for our sins. And then he says this, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, in in our English language, we say one word for love most of the time, and and it's kind of by the context of how it's said that you understand what you're talking about. In the Greek, there's multiple words for love. Uh, some means the erotic type of love or brotherly type of love. But, but here the word that's used is we word talking about the God type of love. It's the word agape that's used here. And the God type of love is this. The God type of love is a benevolent love. It's a moral choice that God made. God decided that he's going to love us. God didn't decide that he'd love me because I'm lovable. He decided he's going to love me in spite of who I was. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the kind of love that prompted him to put his son on the cross. Not that you deserved it, not that I deserved it, but he put his son on the cross for us because God decided he's going to love us. That's the kind of love that's spoken of here. So, guys, we're supposed to love other people with a God type of love, not based upon them being worthy of it, not based upon them deserving it, not based upon, oh, they're just so lovely, I'm going to love them. We're supposed to love them in spite of who they are because that's what God did for us in Christ. Now, I want you to notice four quick things about those verses we read. Notice the encouragement to love. He he said, beloved, let us love one another. So right up front, we're encouraged to do that. We're encouraged to love each other. We're encouraged to love each other with that God type of benevolent love. Look at the existence or the origin of love. The Bible says, for love is from God. We should so love one another because such benevolent, undeserved love exists. That's the love that God has for us. That's the love that he proved that he had for us by putting his son on a cross. And the love that God has shared with us Guys, we're not supposed to of put it in a box and keep it here and say, oh, God loves me. <laughs> we're supposed to display it. We're, we're supposed to share it with others because God loves us. Look at the evidence of love in the last part of verse 7 and verse 8. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God's love. I, I, guys, I'm just telling you, First John's filled with a lot of serious statements., oh, a lot of things that we ought to evaluate, a lot of wake-up calls for us, and that's another serious statement. He's telling us there the practice of God's love in our lives is an indicator. The practice of God's love in our lives is evidence concerning our authenticity as Christians. If we love with God's type of love, it shows that we've been born of God and that we know him. If we don't love with God's type of love, maybe that's revealing we're a pretender and we don't really know God at all. And here's why. God's love, God's love is benevolent, charitable love. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have. A benevolent love means that you're giving it away. You made a decision to give. It's charity on your end, not that they earned it or that they deserved it. I want you to notice something that, that John saying. Be sure you get it right in your mind. John wrote, God is love. He did not write, love is God. We went through a time period of that back in the 60s. Yes, I'm old. Matter of fact, I I was born in the last part of the 50s. So there you go. You can figure it out. I'll be 65 in February there. I I made it even better for you. You can figure it out. I can remember back in the 60s when you had the flower childs and everything like that and you had the Volkswagen buses with the flowers painted on the side of them. and, And sometimes they had this, not God is love, but love is God. Talking about a completely different kind of love. Well, we're supposed to practice the God type of love because he loved us. Look at the example of love. Look at verse 9 through 11. I've already read it, but I want you to key in on it again for a moment. In in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, God displayed, God clearly showed his love by doing this, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, the sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He used the word manifest there. The word manifest In the Greek means to come out into the open or be made public. Now, I know that sounds like some other terminology we hear in our culture today. People coming out into the open or people coming out of the closet, things like that. Well, here's the way God came out into the open. God came out in the open to show how much he loved us. God came out in the open publicly to show us his love. And here's how he did it. He nailed his son to a cross. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. So the love that he has for us is a sacrificial love. For God to love us, it cost him something. It cost him putting his son on a cross. And and guys, the example of love that God sent for us is the kind of love we're supposed to have for others. Love's going to cost you something, whether you like it or not. Love is going to cost you, as far as you being able to love other believers, love is going to cost you letting bygones be bygones. Love is going to cost you forgiving someone for something they might have done to you. Love love is going to cost you, maybe even financially, to where, where you have to maybe you know, do something ministry-wise, provide for somebody, show them you love them, and it might even cost you monetarily. But I guarantee you, for you to love somebody, it's going to cost you something somehow for you to love. And we ought to do that. We ought to display sacrificial love. That's what God did for us. He displayed sacrificial love for us. God displayed it for us, and as Christians, we're to practice and display sacrificial love. We're not just simply to say we love someone. We're to choose to love someone. We're to make a choice to love people, to love others, especially other believers, whether they deserve it or not. Jump down to verse 19 in John 4. We love because he first loved us. That's the motive for our love, because he loved us. We're supposed to love others. second main thing I want you to see today is this. Who and how we are loving should demonstrate God's love. I know I kind of just rubbed shoulders with that. But, but guys, the way we love ought to demonstrate God's love to others. Look at, at chapter 4, verse 12 through 16 of 1 John. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And we talked about that word abide last week, more or less means stay or have fellowship with. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides or stays in that love abides or stays in God and God abides or stays in him. Now go back to the first thing that was said there in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. Now, I think that's true because the Bible says that. If you have physically seen God, please don't tell me because I'm going to be jealous if you've physically seen him. I've never physically seen him. Have you ever physically seen him? I'm talking about seeing him. Moses wanted to, and God said, I'll have to put you over here in the cleft of the rock, and I'll kindly pass by. No one has ever, there's no one on this planet, no one alive, that has physically seen God in all of his glory. I think if they did, your heart couldn't take it. I'd be preaching your funeral probably. So while no one can literally physically see God, if you and I would demonstrate the love of God in our lives, guess what? They can see God. They can't see him, but they can see you and I demonstrate his love. That they can see us practice his love. They can see us love one another the way God wants us to love one another. If you're a Christian, God abides and stays in you. It said, everyone that confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in you. And His love then, ought to be displayed in our lives, because God is love. Whoever abides and stays in God's love will be demonstrating that, and, and God will be abiding in that so people can actually see and understand what God's like as they see us love each other. I think it's what Jesus had in mind when he said this in John 13. "A new commandment I give to you. He's talking to his disciples that you love one another just as I have loved you. Don't read over that too fast. It's pretty easy for us to say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Just as I have loved you means in the same fashion that Jesus loved. We were to love each other in that way. And then Jesus said this, by this, by the love that we have for one another, By us demonstrating that love, by us practicing that love, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. I was thinking about this this week. So I wonder why all the world's not been converted to Christ already. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe people aren't convinced that God is real because they don't see his love in our lives. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Maybe we're not proving we're authentic. Maybe we look like just the rest of the world. Maybe we're not demonstrating his love. Instead, we're demonstrating hatred and gossip and jealousy and things like that in our lives instead of demonstrating the kind of love, the sacrificial kind of love. Well, pastor, it's not that easy to practice sacrificial love. You don't know what somebody else did to me. Did they nail you to a cross? That's what the world did to Jesus, and he said, Father, forgive them. Does that sound like to me, we've got plenty of room to be forgiving other people. You don't have an out. You don't have a reason to say, I'm not going to forgive someone. I'm going to hold on to my bitterness. I'm going to hold on to what someone has said or what someone's done to me. I don't want to speak to that person. I don't want to see that person. I don't want that person knowing anything about my life, and I don't want to know anything about their life. See, that's not demonstrating the kind of love we're supposed to love each other the way Christ loved us so people can be convinced they we his disciples. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. Who and how we are loving can provide confidence concerning the day of judgment. You realize there's a day of judgment coming. You don't like to think about it. People worry about it. Some people are really fearful when they hear it. Look what's said here in, in verse 17 through 18 of 1 John 4. By this is love perfected in us. In other words, love is mature. But by this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, file that little phrase away for a moment. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Because I think what's being said in those two verses is, is that the God type of love, God's type of love ought to be impacting our lives to such a degree that we're practicing that love toward others. And as we practice his love toward others, that's one way that God's love is perfected in us, is mature in us, that we're demonstrating it towards someone else. Loving others, what what I'm trying to say, I guess, is this. Loving others gives us additional confidence we're authentic Christians instead of just believers. In other words, the way we love others gives us additional evidence we really know God and we've really experienced his love. Note that phrase I told you to file away a moment ago. As he is, so also are we in this world. Now, when it says as he is, it's talking about as Jesus is right now. Jesus right now is doing this. Jesus right now is our advocate. Jesus right now is representing us before the throne of God in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing for us right now. So in turn, we ought to be representing Him in the world. We ought to be representing His love in the world. We ought to be demonstrating His love in this world as He is. We ought to be in this world. As Christ is representing us in heaven, we ought to be representing Him in this world. And as God's love is in heaven, we ought to be displaying God's love in our lives here in this world. Because of God's love in our lives in us demonstrating that love toward others, that just gives additional evidence that you don't have to worry about the day of judgment. Now, now understand what I'm saying. I, I'm, I'm glad we have the gospel, aren't you? I'm glad we have promises like this in, in, in Romans 10. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, what does it say? Shall be saved. I love that. But even though that's true, I would like to have more evidence in my life than just saying, there's a Bible verse. I'd like to have more evidence in my life than just saying, I walked an aisle of church and they signed my name up and they put me through water, so I'm on the way to heaven. Guys, we we ought to have confidence in what the Bible says. Don't misunderstand me. We ought to believe the Bible. Thank God, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what I'm saying is this, in addition to that, I would like a little bit more evidence in my life that I'm authentic, that I'm loving others the way I ought to love others. And as I have that evidence that I'm allowing the love of God to manifest itself in my life toward other people, that gives me additional confidence against the day of judgment. By the way, if you're really a Christian, you... I hope you already know this. If you're a Christian, you understand you don't have to fear the day of judgment. He's already taken your judgment for you. That's what the cross was about. He took all of your judgment there on the cross as you hung on the cross. Took his life back up to prove he paid everything necessary for us to be saved. You don't have to fear the judgment if you know Christ is your Savior. All I'm saying is, It's nice to have some additional evidence, amen, that he's real in your life. And one of the ways you can demonstrate that is to practice his love toward others. One last thing I want you to see this morning. And it kind of generally talks about everything we talked about, I guess, but here's number four. Who and how we are loving provides evidence as a whether a person is an authentic Christian or just a pretender. The way we love, whether we are loving other people with God's love, gives evidence whether we're real, whether authentic, or just a pretender. Look at some other verses here in 1 John. Chapter 4, verse 20 through 21. If anyone says, now stop there for a minute, I asked you last week, if you were here all through this series for these three weeks, be reading one chapter a day of First John. If you will do that, you're going to discover, if we say, <laughs> shows up more than one time. It's easy for us just to say something. I mentioned that last week. Amen? We can say and claim anything. I can say today, I'm a multimillionaire. Didn't change one thing about my bank account. If I were a multimillionaire, I'd take care of your debt, your bills. We'd build a new church building. We'd do more ministry. We'd have more Christmas boxes, Operation Christmas Child, than we've ever had. I can scream it to the top of my lungs I'm a millionaire, and it doesn't change one thing about me. A lot of people say, Oh, I love God. I show up at church, I wave my hands, father singing, I raise my hands, I love God. It's an easy thing to say, but keep reading. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, that's talking about other believer, brother, sister in Christ, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Man, that's serious stuff. You can say all you want to, I love God, I love God, I love God. But in your heart, if you're saying that and you're going around hating other believers, harboring things against other believers holding back forgiveness from other believers, allowing bitterness to set up in your life. If you're going around hating other people, the Bible says you're giving evidence that you're a liar. And here's the illustration. He's saying, how can you say that you love God and come back to the thought we had earlier? Have you ever seen him? How can you say you love God who you've never laid eyes on? How can you say you really, really, really love God? When you can't see him, and you hate a brother or sister in Christ over here who you see. I'm not saying you have to love their ways, but the Bible says you have to love them. The preacher, they're hard to love. I understand that. I am too. Ask Becky. She's here. She'll be in the corner after the service if you want verification. People are people. We're flawed. We are hard to love. Relationships are tough. But look at the commandment that he added in there. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He said you must do it. Not if you want to. You must do it. You must love other Christians. You must love them. Guys, you've seen this probably over the years regrettably. I've seen it happen in churches before where this group will get mad at this group or these people will get mad at these people. Don't want to see them. Don't want to talk to them. Maybe that's a good thing for multiple services. Maybe (laughs) I'll go to the other service. I won't have to see them. If that's your motivation, you need to get on altar and get right with God. You see another church member that you're holding something against, or you think they're holding something against you in Walmart, and you go the other way trying to hide from them. <laughs> you, you fail to practice forgiveness. You're, you're think, you're, you're, and, you, and you'll delude yourself into doing this. You'll think, well, they've got something against me. They need to come forgive me. You know what? I think Jesus put it like this. If you know that your brother has ought against you... <laughs> You're to go fix it. You're to be the bigger person. You're to practice spiritual maturity. You're not supposed to wait on them. Go fix the thing. I found out a deacon in a previous church in another county, so don't try and figure out which church it is, know the part of the state. Years ago, been holding something against me for two years, and I didn't even know it and we'd been to an associational meeting, and we were coming back talking about some things, and I must have said something that prompted him. And he told me, he said, I've been upset with you for two years. What it was is we, we called... A worship pastor to come from Southeastern Seminary while he was a student to, to lead the worship and the guy's wife used to lead the worship and he got mad about it. I didn't know he's mad about it or anything, and he told me he said I've been keeping my offering because uh, and not giving it because it says uh, in the Bible that uh, if you've got uh, ought against somebody don't leave you know don't don't give your offering. That's not what it says. It says leave the offering there, go make it right, then come back and worship. That's what it says. That's where, we, where do we get off with that? And we wonder how we can convince a lost world we're authentic. And they see churches split and denominations split and people yaya and talking about other people, harboring unforgiveness, people in the same family. If you're a Christian, you're part of the same family of God. You're supposed to love each other. There's no room for a hatred among believers in the family of God. 1 John 3, verse 11 through 12. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then he gives us an example as to why. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Maybe you want to use that for a standard. Maybe you need to evaluate why you've got something against somebody. Is it because they're more right with God than you are? Because you're jealous of maybe some status or position they have? Cain was jealous over Abel because God received his sacrifice. If you really have a problem with somebody, maybe it's you. Maybe you need to evaluate the problem. The problem was Cain. It wasn't Abel. Maybe we need to use that as an evaluation point. He said, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's one evidence we have that we're authentic. Whoever does not love abides in death. So maybe that's evidence that a person's a pretender. Everyone who hates his brothers are murderers. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, let me give you some context there for that. Just like last week, we were talking about sin, practicing sin, habitually practicing sin. That's not saying someone that's committed murder can't be forgiven and go to heaven. David did what? Committed adultery, committed murder, trying to cover it up. Moses did what? Committed murder. What's being taught there is this, no one that is currently practicing murder, that's their life. That's what their lifestyle is. That's what their focus is. That person is not bearing evidence that they have eternal life whatsoever. By the way, you might even just be murdering their reputation. Might need to be concerned about that by the words that you say by this we know love that he laid down his life for us so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers once again that sacrificial love we ought to practice but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him in other words guys if, if we've got the ability to minister to somebody to help someone how in the world can we just shut up our heart and not do something to try and minister to them and love them little children it said in verse 18 let us love not in word or talk but indeed in deed and truth because by By us doing that gives more evidence that we're really authentic by the way we love others. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The same thing we are talking about a moment ago. Hey, if your heart is convicting you right now because you're holding something against somebody else, I've got news for you. God knows more than your heart does. God clearly knows why you're harboring something. He really knows what's going on behind the scenes. And if your heart doesn't condemn you, in other words, if you have a clear heart, relationally speaking with other believers, then that gives you that additional confidence that you really know him. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Don't just read part of it, read all of it. His commandment is that we that we love Jesus, that we trust in him. But it also says that we love each other. First John 2:15, 17, one more. Different thought about this love thing, and then I'll close. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, with this desires. But whoever does the will of God, which the will of God is to believe, and his son, and love one another. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Why love the world? Why spend so much time chasing after the world and loving what's in the world? It's going to be gone one day. You understand that? The Bible tells us it'll all disappear one day. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Hey, all the stuff that people get so tied up in and love, all the possessions and and the pride that they have of life and everything, it's going to disappear. Fervent heat, going to be burned up, be gone. Your possessions won't abide forever. Only you will provide forever, abide forever because you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Why love the world? For the things of the world. Our question today is simply this Who and how are you loving? I mean, ask yourself honestly before we get to an invitation time Do I love other Christians? I mean, right now, invite the Holy Spirit. I mean, just ask Him up front. If you feel like you know Christ the Savior, invite the Holy Spirit. Walk through my mind and walk through my heart and point out and remind me somebody I'm holding something against. Is there someone that you hate? Do you understand how serious that can be because hate leads to things like murder? Or are you motivated by the love that God has for us and sending His Son to die for you? That motivation and what He's done for us ought to cause us to love others. Are you demonstrating the sacrificial love of God for others to see? Loving other people is dirty and it costs you something. Yeah, you have to get down in life where they are, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you some forgiveness. It's going to cost you to maybe go through some things, ask people to forgive you, things that aren't fun that you might not want to do. But I will tell you this up front from my personal experience. Are you hearing that? From my personal experience. If you've got something against somebody you're not willing to deal with, it. the Holy Spirit's going to keep on Rapping on your door until you do something. And here's the deal. On the other side of you doing what he tells you to do, going and working that out with that other person, there's liberty. There's freedom. You don't have to keep worrying about it. You let go of those feelings and those emotions. Because you're supposed to love them because God loved you. Does the way you love others give you extra confidence concerning the day of judgment? And what does who and how you're loving say about who you are? Does it say you're authentic? Does it say you're real? Or does it say you're a pretender? Let me come back to what I said at the very first of the message about fake art. Fake art looks like some master painted it, like it had the master's touch. The master's signature, but it's not authentic. It's really fake. Will you ask yourself this morning? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to seriously ask you? Have you been touched by the master's hand? The Bible talks about us being God's works of art. Are you? Have you been touched by the master's hand? Or are you just a fake piece of art pretending that you've been touched by the master's hand? Father, forgive us when we allow our flesh, that old person, the old man that we still have, even as believers to rise up in us and cause us to have feelings that we shouldn't harbor. Forgive us when we act like the rest of the world, instead of acting like someone that's experienced your love. Father, help us to demonstrate that we're authentic by understanding that you loved us regardless of who we are, irregardless of what we've done. Undeserving as we were, you loved us sacrificially. You manifested your love for us by putting your son on a cross. God, help us to manifest that type of love toward others so that we can be convincing to a lost world, so that we can demonstrate your love to a lost world, so that we can love each other as we should as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, maybe help us right now. Identify names. Remember situations. God, help us to be transparent right now before you and ask for your help, for your power in restoring a relationship, for your guidance, for your kind of love to be demonstrated in our lives toward each other. Father, if there's someone here that's not authentic, If there's someone here that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, if there's someone here that really needs the Master's touch, your touch in their life, help them this morning to admit that they're a sinner and they can't save themselves, and to trust completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, to give their life to Him this morning, to trust in Him without any reservation this morning, to understand Jesus is their only hope of forgiveness, their only hope of heaven. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. Maybe you need to come this morning and maybe you need to come and pray over a name that God's placed on your mind. Maybe you need to come and kneel and say, God, I. I remember that situation. I remember what was said. God, God help me to, to restore that relationship. God, help me to love other believers the way I ought to love them. God, help me to show that I'm authentic by the way that I love. God, help us as a church, help us as individual believers to convince the world out there that the gospel's real because of the way we love each other. God speaks to you and someone we invite you to come.
0: Are you an authentic Christ follower? If you'd like to know Jesus and find out what it means to follow Him today, just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk with you. We're here to pray with you, love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstance, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.